five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Space Business Podcast, where we investigate all the exciting ways in which people participate in the new space economy by conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, investors, and other members of the space family. I'm Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor in and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist. But I am an alumnus of the International Space University, which is also our partner in the podcast. Here's a short message from them. The International Space University, founded in 1987 in Massachusetts, USA, and now headquartered in Strasbourg, France, is the world's premier international space education institution. It is supported by major space agencies and aerospace organizations, ISU offers the Master of Science in Space Studies program at its central campus in Strasbourg. ISU also conducts the highly acclaimed two-month Space Studies program at different host institutions in locations spanning the globe. And more recently implemented the Executive Space Course, the Southern Hemisphere Space Studies program and Commercial Space program. ISU programs are delivered by over 100 ISU faculty members in concert with invited industry and agency experts from institutions around the world. Since its founding 33 years ago, more than 4,800 students and participants from over 100 countries graduated from ISU. Follow us on social media at ISUNet. Well, it's taken long enough, but we finally have our first and definitely not our last female founder on the show. Victoria Alonso Perez's company, ChipSafer, tracks cattle and other animals with the help of satellites. She started her company in her native Uruguay and has now established it in Singapore too. So we will hear about those two locations. Finally, like me, she is an alum of the International Space University. So we reminiscent about that experience too. Please enjoy my conversation with Wick Alonso Perez. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of the Space Business Podcast. We're joined today by Victoria Alonso Perez from ChipSafer. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Raphael. Thank you very much for having me. Sure, it's our pleasure. Where are you joining us from today? Today I am in Uruguay. Interesting. So that's probably not something that people typically think of as a uh, location for the space sector, which is something we shall talk about. But Victoria, why don't you start off by giving us the elevator pitch on your company? Yeah, ChipSafer is a platform that can track uh, livestock remotely and autonomously. Uh, what we do is uh, the animal wears a self-recharging device that transmits information about it to our company server uh, for processing and analysis. So the farmer can know at all times where the animals are, receive warnings if, uh, specified, if an animal goes beyond the specified perimeter or if an anomaly in the movement is detected, and receive actionable information to uh, better manage the herd. Great. And so where did that idea come from? Uh, the idea came because in 2002, there was a very big outbreak of uh, food and mouse disease here in Uruguay, in my country. Uh, livestock products are Uruguay's principal exports. So this epidemic really affected the whole, not only the rural sector, but, but 
but the whole society economically and, and the whole region, not only Uruguay, but also Argentina and Brazil. And so I started thinking if there could be a system capable of monitoring uh, the animals remotely and tell farmers on time if something was wrong. And so being able to prevent the epidemic from happening. And so that was that was uh, when I was a teenager. Um, I was uh, <laughs> very young and so it, it was uh, an idea that stuck with me. And then when I was, after I graduated as an electronics engineer, I realized that I could use space technology, which I was using for small satellites to track these animals. So I, I decided to, to put the idea in paper and uh, I submitted the idea to a competition. Uh, the competition was the Young Innovators Competition from the International Telecommunication Union. And, um, and so I, I submitted the, the, the idea um, and they told me, to my surprise, that I won. <laughs> and after I won, I, I decided, well, I, I started the, the company. And so, of course, I can immediately see the connection between, as you mentioned, Uruguay and cattle. In fact, I had a Uruguayan steak for lunch today and it was, it was delicious. <laughs> But can you tell us a little bit more, when did your journey with space start? Like, how long ago did you start thinking about space and space-related things? So I've been passionate about space since I was four years old. I have always been, been super passionate. Um, in the beginning, I wanted to, I mean, all my passion started because of my dad. My dad is also very uh, passionate about space, physics in, in general. And so I, um, I started uh, loving everything. And then, but of course, in Uruguay, there is no, well, at that time, there was no aerospace industry at all. <laughs> So I, you know, I, I would tell in school that I wanted to work in, in space, that I wanted to uh, be an astronomer. At first, at first, I thought that I wanted to be an astronomer. And then I, I realized that what I actually wanted to be was an aerospace engineer. So I started. Uh, so so I, I would tell everyone that I, I wanted to, to be an astronomer. And people were like, what? Why? That's weird. <laughs> so people would make fun of me all the time when I said I wanted to work at NASA. Um, it, and the, I think that the reason was because it, it looked like something so far away, like really far away. It's something that you would see just in movies. Uh, you, you would never think that you could have a career in aerospace working in uh, Uruguay, you know? So, so it was obviously complicated and it was obviously something that people were telling me okay how, how are you going to get that so so yeah but I never I never gave up and I, I kept purchasing I, I kept trying to uh, achieve my dreams and and I remember that when I was uh, I think it was 11 I went to a class of astronomy in the planetarium we were only like 10 people in that class <laughs> at 10 kids you know and then I went I also did a, a project about how Humans could live in Mars, could live on Mars, and uh, that was when I was 14, and I presented it at the science fair. And then the people from the University of Science invited me to present the project at the university. So it, it was, I was always involved in, in space activities as much as I could from, from Uruguay. And when you left university, did you pretty much start ChipSafer immediately, or were you trying to get into space like via some other avenues first? Well, so while I was in university, I got a scholarship to present a paper at the International Astronautical Federation, at the, at the International Astronautical Congress. And so I got the scholarship. This was in South, South Korea at the time. So the scholarship also gave you access to go to the Space Generation Congress, which I 
had never heard of. <laughs> and so I got to know this amazing organization that is Space Generation Advisory Council. And it's an NGO, a global NGO in support of the United Program, in support of the United Nations Program on Space Applications. And, and, and so first I started being a national point of contact for Uruguay. Then I became regional coordinator for South America. And then I became chair of the whole organization. And now I'm part of the honorary board. And that was really, really great because it's, you know, while I was in college, I could, I could already be, be doing things that were space related and, and have all this network of uh, people that were interested in space or working in aerospace from all over the world because uh, Space Generation Advisory Council has volunteers. It's, a, it's an organization that, that is comprised by volunteers, but it's all students and young professionals. And, and so I had this huge network of people around the world working in aerospace. And that was really, really good. Another thing that I did was I, I attended through in that Congress in South Korea. I also got to know International Space University, which I also have not heard of it before. And, um, and so I applied to go to their summers program. And that was amazing. It was really, really good. I was working on small satellites in, in university. So I. I also, in International Space University, I, I, I decided to, to work on a project that, that was related to, to small satellites. And then the next year, I worked as the teaching associate for the space engineering department. And then I, at, at the same time that I was doing that, I, uh, like before I started working as a teaching associate, I, I graduated from electronics engineering in Uruguay. And, and yeah, and at that time, it was when I, I won the competition. And, um, and so they, they provided me with some funds. It was not a lot, but it was 5,000 Swiss francs. And with that, I, I, I started the company. I, my plan was to actually do a, a PhD in aerospace engineering. But uh, when, when this opportunity came, I decided to, to just start the, the company at the time. Excellent. Since you mentioned ISU, and um, as you may have seen, I myself am a graduate of the ISU Space Studies program, and ISU is actually our partner in this podcast. Let's open a quick bracket on ISU. What do you think were sort of the main benefits of, of the Space Studies program for you? I think it was amazing for me. I made so many friends that are still friends today. You know, I met so many cool people that I think that. So one of the things that I always say about the, the, the first time that I went to the IAC in South Korea was that I, you know, every time in Uruguay that I would talk about space, people would laugh at me. I was like the weirdo, the nerd, the geek. You know, it, it was almost impossible to have a conversation with someone my age about space and be taken seriously. And, and so it was, it was really frustrating. And, uh, and then I went to the IAC and I remember as I was walking in, I felt like, 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 you know, maybe like Harry Potter was feeling when the first time he went to Howard's that, that he felt like he was in a place where he belonged, you know? And, and I felt like it was, it was great. I had, I met all these people my same age and I could talk about space and I could talk about space exploration and uh, rockets and all those things that, Ever since I went there, it was considered geeky and, and not something cool and, and, and something that it was ridiculous. I mean, I could only talk about those things probably with my dad and my grandpa, you know, and uh, my, my family always were a huge support to me. But outside of that in school or anything, I couldn't talk about that with anyone. So, so it was really, really great. And I think that, that ISU was kind of that too, in the sense that, you know, it, uh, the, the, the space studies program was that it was a, 
a bunch of, uh, I think it's 80 people per, um, 80 to 100 people per, per cohort. And, and, you know, it was all people that were passionate about space, working in different disciplines, uh, maybe space medicine or space law or space engineering, like all the different disciplines. But it, all of the people had the same goal was that we wanted to explore more space. We wanted to have more launchers, more rockets. So I think that that's in that sense, ISU is a, a really, really great place and a pretty unique place in the sense that everybody has a passion for the same thing. So, so it's, it's very easy to make friends and it's definitely an amazing summer. Yes, I, I fully agree. And it's sort of almost like you find your adoptive family or something. And, and, and of course, because of that, it's also incredibly hard to leave after the summer. Yes, yes, exactly. I remember, I remember that it was really hard. I mean, when, when I did it, that it was in, in Austria, that I, I fell out. Like, like I remember pe people started leaving before me because I was staying for a conference and it was so hard seeing everyone, everybody leave. It was like, you know, just a few of us stayed and seeing the dorms that were like empty and all that. It was, it was really hard. And then when I worked for, for the space studies program, like, like the next day, the next year, that was at Kennedy Space Center. And that is my favorite place on earth. I mean, I love Kennedy Space Center. So that was like the best job I could ever have. And I was a TA for space engineering and my bosses were all amazing, like the visiting lecturers and everyone, everyone I had to work with was really so great. And I learned so much from them. And I remember that at that time was the time that I was, I was like, I already submitted the application for Chip Safer for the competition, but I was thinking about it. And I remember all these people giving me advice about the company and they were like, oh, but this doesn't exist. It sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so I had these people that I admire a lot, you know, and then they were telling me that it was a great idea. So that was a lot of boost of confidence for me to, to start the company too. Okay, perfect. So let's close the bracket on, on ISU and come back to, to ChipSafer. So there yes. you were, you, you did ISU, you did your other degree, you had, um, I think you said 5,000 Swiss francs in hand and, and, and you were basically by yourself and you had the idea that came from the foot and mouth disease um, time in Uruguay. So how did you go about setting up the company? So it, it's, it was really hard because I never, so I never had in university in Uruguay, it's very good in engineering, you know, but they, they train you to be an engineer. And at least when I did it, now I know it's changed. We didn't have any business classes, you know, they, they didn't teach you much about business or about uh, setting up a company or, or, or starting your own project. So we did a, our thesis, which was great. And the thesis was like one year and a half. And they taught us a lot about, um, you know, project management and stuff, but not really about the business side. And, and so I, I, I kind of had to learn from scratch. So I remember that I, so I, I had the idea and I didn't want to start alone. So I asked a friend of mine if he would uh, join me. That relationship didn't work out, so so we ended up splitting, and uh, and you know he he left the company. Um, I think it was two years later, and and I think in the meantime, like like the whole process of starting was really hard because we. I, I honestly had no idea about how to, like, I knew the project, I knew the product that I wanted to do, but there is so much more than just an idea, you know, it's like execution and, and, and team and everything. So I think that one of the things that I, I did a ton of mistakes, like a ton of mistakes <laughs> through the, the, the journey to get to where I am right now. 
but uh, but you know, I, I learned a lot too. I guess, yeah. I mean, I've I've been an entrepreneur myself, and I guess at some point in time you have the idea, but then you have, like you say, you have to start executing, and you kind of come in in the morning, you wake up, and you have to decide, okay, today what do I need to do to kind of make my idea in reality? And I'm just curious what that looked like in your case. So, for example, did you start talking to to farmers as potential clients to see whether they were interested? Yes. Or did... Yes. So I started. Um, I, I started. Like so, the the good thing was that so when I when I won the competition, like even before I started the company, I won the competition, and the press found out about it, and it was really great because I mean I got an article in the national newspaper, you know, of Uruguay. So because of that, a lot of people started contacting me and saying like, "Hey, this is something I I I always wanted. I always wanted to know where my animals are at all times." Um, researchers started contacting me. So, so that was really, really good in the sense that it was not that I had to start like, like asking, uh, farmers that I knew, but it was more that they, they started contacting me and seeing how, um, they were interested in the technology. So at the time, um, I also started working, um, with a person that helped me with all the, the technical, you know, all the, the electronics and everything. Uh, but, but very early. So, so we did everything. We did a, a prototype. Um, but the prototype we were using GPRS, we were using 3G for, for tracking the animals. And mm -hmm. so that would work well in Uruguay. But, but then in 2015, I moved to Brazil because a friend of mine, he told me like, Hey, I have this cool opportunity to monitor livestock. Um, why don't you come and we work together? So I said, okay, this is, this is good because at the time I was working, I was looking for a manufacturer and he was a product designer. So he was like, okay. And he has this very successful company doing drones. So I said, okay, yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity. I will go. And when I went to, to Brazil, I realized that I couldn't really use the, the trackers that I had in Brazil because mm. there was not the connectivity in the sure. rural areas was almost there was no connectivity. So then, so we had to start the, 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 the development from scratch to create something that we could use in, in remote areas. And at the time, the LoRa protocol was coming up. I think that LoRa became uh, commercially available in, in 2016. So we were actually testing it from 2015. And, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we did all the testing. We thought it was a great technology, uh, but it was just starting. So also it, it was very expensive, you know, to get components and stuff. So, but we, we started the design from scratch and, and we changed it. And uh, that was a really, it took us a lot of time. Then we did a lot of pilots, you know, around the world. And, and then we finally decided to, to stop a bit and uh, just focus on having a product ready for mass production, which is something that a lot of people overlook, that there is a big difference between having a prototype and a product. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we, we've been focusing for the past two years in having this product ready. And now we have the product ready for mass production and we are mass producing in Singapore at the moment. Okay. And taking a step back, just because a lot of our, our listeners are in Europe and the US and I myself, I've lived many years in Brazil and people may not appreciate, like you say, the size of farms. I mean, there's farms, the sizes of like small European countries. So it's really not oh, surprising. Yes. That you need yes, uh, satellite no. connectivity. That is insane. I mean, it's uh, some farms are just gigantic, like really, really gigantic. I mean, some farmers go on, on like little planes, you know, to go over the, the farm because it's so big. That was one of the things that I also found out. Like being in Uruguay, if I wanted to meet any farmer, 
I would have like the maximum I would have to do was probably six hours by car, you know, of like driving six or seven hours. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in Brazil, that's impossible. You need to take a flight. Most of the farmers we were working with, uh, we had to take a flight to go and see them. So that's, that's, it's, it's really, really gigantic Brazil. I mean, it's, it is, it's uh, massive. Mm -hmm. And let's talk a little bit more about this technological solution. And by the way, what, what year was that when you were starting to enter in Brazil? Uh, Brazil is starting in 2015, like the end of 2015. And uh, 2016 is that we spent the whole year working on it. So this, I'm asking this because obviously, you know, if somebody looks at the space industry today and sort of like, um, you know, Internet of Things, IoT connectivity, like these days, there's probably like more than 20 startups that, uh, you know, either already have or proposing Internet of Things communications satellite constellations but that wasn't really the case in 2015 so how did you find a technological solution that that worked for the service that you wanted to provide i think that that for me i mean i think that we were also very lucky that the lora technology i mean lora is long range radio frequency lora came out just when i was in brazil like it was available for people that were doing testing in 2015 and commercially available in 2016 so i think that that for us was really really good you know to be able to to have that technology because i mean transmitting from the cows directly to the satellite it's extremely expensive and consumes a lot of power and stuff so i think that that still it would take a few more years to have something like that but yeah but we we we, we now work with this lora technology and and it's it's very good i mean other people work with sigfox that it's something similar then there are other at the time there were also other technologies like they are still now for example like bluetooth or sigbee um so there are some some radio frequency technologies that are very good right now that can be used. Um, and I think that, that that was very important for us. Are you keeping an eye on all of the different IoT startups that, that use, like, like you said, a variety of different technologies to see whether there's anything interesting coming up? I am actually based in Singapore now. I am in Uruguay currently because of the COVID situation, but my office is in Singapore. And that is a really great, great place for technology and innovation. So it's it's easy to keep up with the new technology when you're in like, you know, the second most innovative country in the world. <laughs> I think the first one is South Korea and then, then Singapore. So so yeah, but the, it's it's great to see that in the market, so many new technologies are coming up. And uh, I think that that is great also that there are so many startups working on, on IoT and uh, IoT for smart cities or even for other industries and 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 seeing the the boom in the in the industry okay but let's come back to basically what a chip safer product is so if i said it correctly basically the farmers can put um, a collar on the cattle and then you can like you said track where the where the cattle is and where what are the actual main use cases for the farmer um, the main use cases is, is uh, for example, uh, we work a lot with cattle theft. So being able to detect if an animal is being stolen or if it's being lost. Also to better manage your herd. I mean, by knowing where the animals are, you know, you can, you can uh, make better decisions in terms of, of the way you're farming. Like, for example, if you need to put more places for water or if you need to put more places with shade, you know, I mean, there, there is a lot of decisions that you can take just by that information. And also for sustainability, you know, I always say that by knowing the location of the animals at all times, we can prove that the animals were, for example, not uh, raised in protected areas such as the Amazon rainforest, which is very important nowadays. So, so yeah, I think that there is a whole added value on sustainability that that's, it's extremely important and that we need to consider. 
How do you supply that data to the farmer? Did you like develop, for example, a user interface in-house to, yes, to make yes. use of the that farmer, data? Um, the farmer can access all their information. You know, they have a username, they have a password, and they can access through their uh, laptop or their mobile device and, and check where the animals are in real time. Okay, and you, and you mentioned the, the cattle theft, and that, that makes sense. But I remember, like you said, the original idea came from the, the foot and mouth disease. And I guess, is there also something where you can actually track whether the cattle is maybe sick? Like, I guess if they had mad cow disease, they would move in certain ways and, and so forth. Well, uh, we, can, we can detect exactly if there is an, an anomaly in the movement. We cannot tell you exactly what the problem in terms of health is. Um, there are some startups that are coming up with some uh, really interesting health-related technologies. For us, we decided to focus more on this uh, location of the animals because, well, that's what the, the, the markets was mostly needed, needing in Latin America. And the farmers, how do they pay for this? Is it like per cattle or how does the revenue model work? Uh, they pay a fee per month per animal. Beyond that sort of initial use case, I mean, what are your medium term goals for the company? Where is this going in, say, five years? Um, so we want to make the company grow as much as, as, as possible. You know, we would love to have as many animals monitored as possible. We would also like to diversify to wildlife. Uh, we've already tried with, with other animals, like not only livestock, not, not only cattle, but also horses and sheep. So, so definitely something we, we have had a lot of requests for wildlife and it's something that, that we would definitely like to work on too. So is that, for example, for like anti-poaching as well? Yes, it would be mainly for the anti-poaching. Yes, I think that's uh, for that. It uh, there there are some solutions that are pretty good in the market right now, but that, that are being used in Africa. I think that the problem that they have is the price. So it would be about coming up with a with a more economic solution. And in which which countries do you operate right now? Um, so we have our headquarters in Uruguay, but we have projects in different places. Right now we have in Uruguay and in Brazil, and we are in talks for, for other countries to start in December or January. And you mentioned you moved to Singapore. How did that come about? Because that's not a region that you know one would think of traditionally as a, as a cattle or farming region. Yes, no, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I've, I've always admired a lot Singapore. And actually through this uh, Space Generation Advisory Council, I met a person who was running the Flex Advanced Incubation Center. Flex is a company I always wanted to work with. I think that if you ask any hardware engineer, they would tell you that, uh, you know, Flex is kind of the manufacturer you always want to work with because it's really good quality, um, really reliable, <laughs> you know. And so for years, I've been trying to work with them. And, and it, But it was always very hard because they do stuff like, you know, very specific. And of course, everybody wants to work with them, so it's hard. Um, and then they started this Flex Advanced Incubation Center, which was in uh, Singapore. And I, um, when, when this person told me about it, I was so excited. And uh, we were the first startup to get accepted into it. And for us, it's been amazing because working with Flex really, it made us go from prototype to product. And, 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 and it's been really great. And, and Singapore is such a nice place to live. It's, uh, you know, I think is the most futuristic city I've ever seen in my life is Singapore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, all the services were great. So, so it's, a, it's a really great place to have a startup right now. And so I have to ask you also about the space ecosystem in those two locations, you know, well, maybe starting 
with Singapore. So Singapore, at least I am aware that there are some other space startups. I mean, just off the top of my head, I can now think of um, Transcelestial, Infinite Orbits. Yes. How is the space ecosystem there in your view? Oh, yeah. No, the, the space startup ecosystem is great. Actually, Transcelestial is another of the startups that is incubated in the Flex Advanced Incubation Center. So their office is like like four offices down from mine. <laughs> But it, it's really good. And then you have also this the Singapore Space and Technology Association, which we work with. Uh, so, so this advanced incubation center is from Flex, but it's also from, from the Singapore Space and Technology Association. Um, so it's great because they, they provide a network with the other startups and, and, you know, like, like they provide also funding. There is many funds that are for, for the space, uh, Singaporean startups. So, so it's, I think it's, it's becoming a really great ecosystem for anyone to have a startup there. Um, and there is a lot of talent too. That that is one of the things that I, I think is very overlooked sometimes. And is the talent. You know, you need to start when you when you have the company. One of the number one things that you need to think about is where are you going to get your talent from. And uh, and Singapore has has really it's really attracting top talent from around the world. For sure. And then so moving on to the other location, you know, well, um, Uruguay. So in Latin America, I mean, there's some space startups in Argentina. Um, there's actually actually a few other startups that came out of INVAP in Argentina, but are now in the US. And then in Brazil, there's a very strong base um, in aerospace, um, mostly due to Embraer. And now the Alcantara Space Launch Center is uh, is being started again. Is there anything else going on in Uruguay? Well, in Uruguay, so Satellogic, that is the, the Argentinian uh, company, it also has like, they, they have a location here where they build the satellites. So I think that that is great because it's really, um, you know, a place where, where if you do engineering here in Uruguay then you, and you want to work in aerospace, you can definitely work for Satellogic, which is a great company, I think. But that, that is, is, I think, as, as much, I think the, the only one that I know here is that one. Uh, then, as you said, I also know some Argentinians that are doing stuff in, in the U.S., but uh, still is very slowly moving. What there is a lot is not space space, but aero that you would say like the drones. There is a lot of drone companies coming up like all over Latin America, I think. So so in that area, we, we see a lot more. Or there is a lot of startups that actually are not particularly space, but they are like, for example, using satellite imagery. So that that is something that I see more in Latin America, but I do not see a lot of of real really space like focusing on on building satellites or building rockets. That you do not see much in in South America as a whole. Which honestly makes sense to me because like these these activities you mentioned, like building rockets or satellite, that's that's very capital intensive. And then frankly, there's yeah. already a lot lot of companies which are doing it around the world, which you can piggyback on. Uh, which brings me to the next point, which is about you know financing your startup. So you had your initial check of you know five thousand Swiss francs, but beyond that, like you know how how did you go about financing your startup? So the way we did it was uh, we got some grants. Uh, we got like the first grant we got was from the government of Uruguay. That was really really good because I mean the five thousand Swiss francs were great, but uh, to build hardware, you know, and build hardware in Latin America, it takes a lot of money. Um, so this grant from the government was awesome. With this grant, I was able to, to do the whole first prototype and we were able to, I think it was for a year and a half we had funding, which was great. Uh, then we won some competitions, uh, from the Inter-American Development Bank and then Shiva's, uh, Regal, the, the whiskey brand. Uh, we won, we won a, a lot of money from that too. 
And uh, then my business partners and I contributed, you know, the, 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 the three of us, we contributed a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I mean, as, as much as we could. And, and then we bootstrapped as much as we could. And only now is it that we started looking for funding. Um, you know, for some years we were like, oh no, we're not ready yet. We can maybe do some adjustments and stuff. I think that now is the, is the first time that we believe that we are ready for some real investment. Excellent, which means that we should be talking separately as well with me wearing my hat oh, as yeah, a yeah. Space, space venture capitalist <laughs> on, on a different call. We won't bore the podcast listeners with that. The other thing I wanted to ask you more, I have to very shamefully admit that you are actually the first female space entrepreneur on this podcast. I mean, the podcast isn't that old. It's only started in March, but still you're the first, the first one. So I just wanted to ask you, like, you know, space is sort of traditionally seen as a very male or aerospace, I guess, in general, is seen as a very male dominated domain. You know, when you go to your typical space conference, it's very male dominated. How was it for you being a, a female entrepreneur, a female CEO in space? I, I think it, it was good. It's definitely male dominated. But but I mean, I feel like in, you know, I did engineering <laughs> And when I did engineering, we were in, in some places, I was the only girl. So, you know, I think I was kind of uh, used to uh, this. Of course, I would love to, to see a lot more and more women, not only in space, but in, in STEM in general. Um, I think that every year there is, there is more. So that is, is great, great news. And there is more opportunities for women too. I think that in my case, I, I never, well, it's funny because I, I'm in two very male-dominated industries. One is the space industry and the other one is the farming industry. Um, sure. So I think that, that when I started with Chip Safer, I don't think I ever saw any difference with, with me being a woman. I, I think I saw a difference with my age. When I started, I was 24 years old. Um, mm. So sometimes I had to prove myself being like, hey, I can do this. You know, I can do this. I'm not just a, a student or <laughs> I can I can really do this. So so but, you know, but once I proved and then people would understand, oh, look, yeah, she she's very determined. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that then it, it was it was easier. But as an entrepreneur, I don't think I had any any major problems uh, because of my gender or because of, of my age. I, I, of course, seen in other industries, there is a lot of issues and stuff. I, I feel like maybe I, I don't know if it was lack or just being used to always being in a male dominant, male dominated, I mean, industry, but, but of course, uh, I think that, that we should do more to, to have more female founders and more female engineers and more female in STEM careers. Absolutely. And organizations like Space Generation Council, which you mentioned, and frankly, even ISU are making, are, are doing, a, I think, a really good job at, promoting that and i promise we will have more female founders on the space business podcast as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean if i have to if i have to answer you like if i know any female founder of like space I, i'm not saying like like satellite imagery or like using that but, but like actual space it's i think i saw an article of one in the united states <laughs> but uh but that i personally know i i I don't remember. I don't want someone tomorrow, like a friend of mine telling me tomorrow, oh, you didn't remember me. But uh, <laughs> but I'm thinking like out, out, like like no one really comes to mind, like like being someone that I would personally know. No, there's there's some amazing women in space. I mean, if we, if we start from the top, obviously. Queen, oh yeah, in Winch space I know. But I mean, I would say like founders of uh, like entrepreneur, like like having a start um, a space company. Yeah, no, I... I, no, I see what you're saying. It's, I think there's definitely still room to to make that much more equal. Um, but there, there's some. I spoke this morning to uh, to Flavia Flavia Tatanadini, who runs uh, Fleet, which is you know one of the big IoT companies and out of Australia. But yes, uh, we can certainly still improve on that. 
So Victoria, we always end um, on the same two questions in the, this podcast. The first one being, so you're doing chip safer, but clearly I think it's obvious from our conversation, you have a passion for space in general. So if you weren't doing chip safer, but you had to do something else in space, what do you think you might be doing as a as an entrepreneur? I think I would definitely be uh, working on on thrusters. <laughs> that was what I always loved. It was uh, like like you know back in school. It was kind of my the the thing that appealed to me the most were like like the systems that could transport us to to different uh, places in the solar system, and why not in the universe? <laughs> so I think that that for me I would definitely be working on technologies uh, on transportation technologies. So to definitely to enable humankind to go to outer space and to explore more. Perfect. And then the second question, which is the fun question we always close on is, um, are you a fan of science fiction? And if yes, which books, movies, TV series are your favorites? No, actually. <laughs> so that's a very weird thing that's that people like, it's funny because I go and I talk to someone and, and I say, oh, I love space. And the first thing they tell me is I'm such a fan of Star Wars. And I'm like, no, I, I do not like Star Wars at all. Like, um, um, <laughs> actually, actually, if you would ask me what is one of my favorite movies, it would be um, Spaceballs. That is the the, the, the one that makes <laughs> yeah, fun of, course. of Star Wars. Of, yeah. of Star Wars. Mel Brooks. That was, yes. And actually, maybe that's why I had so much disappointed disappointment in terms of that. Because when I was a kid, I remember I was with my grandpa and we were watching Spaceballs. And I thought that that was the the funniest movie ever. Like I thought it was so funny. Um, and this, I was really little and my, my grandpa was watching. So, so then I would tell everyone that my favorite movie was Star Wars. So I remember one time um, there was Star Wars on TV and my mom was like, Oh, you're not going to believe this, but tonight they are, they are going to screen Star Wars on TV. I was like, Oh, I was so excited. And so I get ready to watch my favorite movie. And then Star Wars came out and I'm like, what is this? This is not my movie. <laughs> so, so I think that maybe that disappoint, disappointment, it was, was triggered that I never really liked the, the movies because I was really looking for star space balls and Star Wars came up. But, uh, but yeah, but I, 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 I'm like, my favorite movies would be, I think, so Star uh, Spaceballs for sure. Mars Attack, I really love Mars Attack. I like mm -hmm. funny movies <laughs> that that make fun I, of. I the can tell, ones. yes. <laughs> um, and then and then of course Apollo thirteen. I really loved Apollo thirteen. I I really loved, loved another one that I really loved was uh, the Fifth Element. Yeah. So so you know the Fifth Element. So I I I love science fiction only if it's like funny science fiction. If it's like science fiction like like serious, no. Okay, <laughs> understood. Well, on that note, Victoria, thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, good luck with Chip Safer and, uh, and the fundraising, which we shall talk about separately. Thank you very, very much. That's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting the podcast at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, or are interested in being a sponsor, or really anything else, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. That's it. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.